Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. been asking, is there more to the chase in life? And it really comes from the book of Ecclesiastes that we're studying. We're getting actually already into chapter 8, if you can believe it. We've got a few more weeks ahead uh, to finish that off. And I hope you've been challenged, you've been studying it like I have, going, what the heck does this really mean? And what we find is it's, it's really just an honest reflection, an honest assessment that many believe King Solomon probably had some help putting this together. It's a a very poetic book, but it's a very honest book of assessing his life and looking back. The guy that had it all, you talk about the most interesting man in the world. I mean, he he had wealth, he had wine, he had women, he had worldly pleasure. I mean, he had everything a person could want, but at the end of the day, at the end of it all, he just goes, it's, it's meaningless. It's just, the, the word meaningless in, in Hebrew is hevo. It means, it means like vapor, breath. It's like chasing after the wind. You know, you're, something blows in the wind. You just can't quite grab it that life is so much like this. And so really, whole, all through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll get into chapter 8, it's really kind of a confession that Solomon, he came to these conclusions. And I think it's really good to, to hear people's advice like, hey, this is what I did. Don't go my way. Because at the end, it's not really worth it. So this confession confession today really is a confession as we're going to look at as a state of restlessness that Solomon had. And so as we see this confession, I want to make a confession to you today. Uh, and uh, it's hard to admit this. And some of you are like, oh no, what, what is this going to be, this confession? Well, I had an addiction. I had. It was, I don't have this addiction now. But at one time I was addicted to soap operas. In middle school. You're like, What? How can, how can you be addicted to a soap opera? Well, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, a, there was only one soap opera. It was called All My Children. And some of you know that, you know, if I, I men, mentioned Erica Kane and, and, you know, uh, you know, which is Susan Lucci and, you know, Adam Chandler and Tad Martin and some of you like, I know that. Okay, we'll pray for you after the service for that issue as well. But I, that one soap opera, the reason I know that is, is back in the, in the mid eighties there, my, my, uh, Mom and, and I went, and she had some money, and she went and bought a VCR. And I think we paid like $5,000 for it or something back then. They were super expensive, right? You remember that in those days? But we had this VCR, and she, we get it home, plug it in. She goes, Danny, I heard that you can record programs on, off the TV. I'm like, Mom, yeah, that's what I heard too. I love the show All My Children. When you were little, I used to watch that every day, and I can't anymore. Could we record that? I'm like, yeah, I can program it and everything. And, and so I get home after school and she got home a lot later and I saw the blinking red light and so I'd push it and so I started watching it myself and I got hooked on the soap opera every single day. I mean, it's, it's, it's so wonderful for a middle schooler to be, you know, just learning about, you know, adultery and gossip and slander and plots of murder. You know, it's just a beautiful learning that happened as a middle school kid, though there's much worse on TV, I know that now. But 
the reality is, thank goodness, you know, I didn't get hooked on other soap operas that were there. You would think, oh my goodness, if this one's good, I'm going to record them all. I didn't do that. But there was one that is out there that I never watched, but it's still on today. I don't know about the other ones, but it's still on today. It's called Young and the Restless. And don't raise your hand if you watched it. Don't do that to me, because I don't want to look down upon you later. No, I'm kidding. God bless you, okay? But this program still exists, and I thought that's a great title for today that we're going to look at. And, and you know, we're going to talk about restlessness. And some of you are like, well, I'm not young. Well, we're all restless. There's a restlessness that we have. There's a, there's, in fact, I would say that's the word that really reflects a lot of our culture today is restlessness. It, it's not just young. It's all, it's all ages. So you think of the advancement of the speed of technology has been wonderful, but it's really messed with us in our attention span. It's really messed with us in any kind of delayed gratification. When you can click it and swipe it and order something quick and it's going to show up the next day, it's pretty amazing. You're right? We're like, wow, can this happen? But there's a lot of things in life. There's a lot of things in life that aren't coming that easy. And so we get highly agitated. Our, 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 uh, our lives, we want so quickly, something so quickly. So, social media is also wonderful. We get connected to the whole world. But it affects, you know this, it affects our self-esteem. We start comparing ourselves with other people. It, it's called FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh my goodness, they're doing that. I need to do that. Well, and it creates a sense of restlessness. Screen time, they, they're saying that that blue light that you have, whether it's your screen, your TV screen, your computer screen, your phone, if you're looking at that late at night, it stops for you to produce melatonin in your brain. You're, you're tricking your brain that it's not time to sleep. And you're going, no, it's really time to sleep. And so if you stayed up late, watching the late, late, whatever, guess what? In the morning, you're like, I'm tired. It's because the blue light, in fact, you can look at the screen on these little lights up there. It's blue light coming out of all of them, though that's a blue screen there. It's, it, it is actually affects you. Okay? All this comes in to say we live in a state, and we can blame technology and restlessness, but we can also blame our culture as well. The big taboo word in our culture today is commitment. Commitment. People don't like to commit to anything, even let alone in marriage. There's actually a trending thing now that many couples are taking the, the, the part of their vows until death do us part out of them. Like, it's like, how would you feel if you're, you're, you're person going, I want to marry you, but that part I'm leaving out, okay? If you're going to have that, please talk to me about that. Can I talk you out of that marriage? Because that's not going to last. There's, there shouldn't be an expiration date until there's a death date, okay? That's part of it. Now, ideally, that's great. Life happens. Things happen. And you experience that in your life. You're going, well, I thought those vows were true. Apparently, that person, it wasn't for them. There's a lot of brokenness and hurt in people's lives because restlessness has been a part of that. People are searching. People are looking. And that's really what Solomon is talking about. He's talking about the fact that we live even back then in this culture. Now you think of the culture we live in, that you can do whatever the heck you want to do actually brings you to a place of restlessness. Can I tell you the description I think of our culture today? This is, this is, the, this is the motion today. Swipe. Swipe. No. You want to watch that? No. You want to get that? No. Where do you want to eat? No. I don't know. What? What? No. And this is our culture today. And you know what? That is a constant state of restlessness that we live. Let me ask this really deep question. Are you restless lately? 
in your and you right now you're at a place. Are, are, are you in a place of where there, you're lacking satisfaction? You're lacking peace. You're not only losing sleep, but when you are awake, you just can't settle your mind and you settle your heart. Do you get irritated? easily. You fly off the handle with others so quickly. You just got a quick fuse. Are you overwhelmed with decisions that you have to make or you made them and you got second thoughts and you got regrets from the decision you made? Are you filled with worry and anxiety all the time? Well, you're in a state of restlessness. And King Solomon, as we're going to look through this, in, in so many ways, which it's somewhat you got to dig for a little bit, is really talking about our world, even today, and the world that he lived, and that in his whole pursuit of life, really a life at times without God, Solomon started well, but he stopped pursuing the Lord and everything else he went after. He was in a state of restlessness, and I think it can speak to us today. And I want to address it in the way that there's lies, there's lies that we can start believing that really create restlessness that I want to look at today. So you can follow in your notes, you can follow on the screen. Some lies we live by that lead to restlessness that Solomon addresses. The first lie is this, that, and it's out of here in our world today, is truth is unattainable. When you don't believe in absolute truth, it creates a sense of restlessness. In our age of relativism, it's, it's true to every truth becomes everything subjective. It's very PC. Say, hey, if that works for you, great. You know, to each its own. You know, Anne Hathaway and Diet Coke commercial. Just do you. Just do you. Well, Anne, it doesn't work too well with gravity. If you're up in an airplane and the parachute doesn't open, you can't go, yeah, I don't do gravity. It's not my thing. Or the, or the kids say, you know, it's... It's not my jam. I just, you know, okay, that's what happens, right? There's truth to that. There's, there's laws. There's absolute truth in our life. And there's absolute truth that comes to morality and relationships and everything that goes with it. But what happens is, if you don't believe in absolute truth, it creates a state of, of restlessness. It, speaking of flying out of airplanes, you're flying in an airplane, there's no, it, what it is is if you don't have truth, there's no runway. There's no solid ground to land on. Paul talks about this and identifies in Romans, and we will get to chapter 8 Ecclesiastes here in a moment. He says this, For although they knew God, people out there, they neither, neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's a speaking of a restless person that's darkened and understanding of really not understanding and pursuing God's truth. And so Solomon was wise enough at least to help us understand, listen, don't go that way. There, there's something that there, and then we're going to look at here as what he says. But here's a key truth. It's, it's in God's character to keep his promises. And that's tied with truth, that God's character, that what he says will happen. He promised it, it will take place. And it does take place. And in search of meaning, Solomon concluded that truth matters through divine wisdom. This is what he says in verse 1. He says, Who is it like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Solomon is, 
is speaking to the listeners, to us as well here today, exhorting us to pursue truth is where wisdom is where we find it. It's, in, it's understanding that the wisdom comes in God's word and God's works and there's a design and there's a purpose to all rather than living in chance. And I find that I run into people all the time when they can't land on truth, they're living very fatalistically. They, they have kind of pseudo things that they turn to at the end when, when money runs out and relationships go south and, and every job goes in different directions. Where do people stand? Where do they, where do they go? And listen to what Solomon says. He jumps to verse 16. He says, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes under the sun despite all their efforts to search for it. No one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they can't really understand it or comprehend it. So I was saying, listen, I, you could chase after all kinds of thoughts and wisdom yourself, and it's never going to be enough. And then he has this little line in here, I, but I saw all had God had done. And I think it's so important when we step back and we reflect at what God has accomplished. What did he do? He created us. All of creation, it's beauty. And even though we live in a fallen world, there's beauty all around us. All we have to do is stand on that deck, and you can look at the bay, and you can look at the mountain on a beautiful day. We know God has done that. But he's more than just created. He accomplished so much to bring you redemption through the cross of Christ. All these covenants in the Old Testament led up to Jesus and the fulfillment was there. And what times happens though is our confidence gets eroded in that fact. And yet because we turn away from his character, which leads to another lie is this. The second lie is this. We can downplay authority. We can downplay authority. We can believe that there really isn't anybody that we can trust. And that's hard nowadays, isn't it? I mean, I think maybe in the last 40 years, we can look back maybe further, where there's been an eroding of confidence in leadership, whether it's in government or politicians, and especially in the religious world that's all around us and all the things that have happened that we hear about. News today has become a gong show, hasn't it? It's like, who do you believe and where do you turn to? And, and let's face it. People have blown their lives up that we even, not just out there, the people that are closest that we trusted in. And so we grieve and we cringe and we judge, but ultimately we lost trust. And so what Solomon says next, I'll just face it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge here. But he says this in verse 2, he says this, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure in every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. There's a lot there to say is there's a, it comes down to trust. It comes down to trust. And you're thinking, how can I trust? And all unethical things maybe our, our employer does, or maybe we've had parents, or maybe we see this going on and shady deals over here. How can we really trust in those in authority? But I would speak this truth to you is this. We obey earthly authority because we trust in the one who, who placed them there. We obey earthly authority because we trust the one who placed it there. Apostle Paul parallels what Solomon says 700 years later to a group, and you need to know this, persecuted, oppressed 
Christ's followers. Romans 13. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except which God has established. Some of you are going, that's a challenge. Are you kidding me? Have you met my boss? Have you met my supervisor? Have you met my teacher? Have you met my parents? Are you kidding me? I got to do that? My, that cop, that principal, that city official, that president? You know, it, all these authorities over us. Can we really trust that? Well, you, you think you've got it bad. Imagine living in the Roman Empire, okay? Keep in mind in perspective, the persecutions going on, the, the Roman Empire, they led with the iron fists and the, and the oppression they went through. You and I live in some freedom today. We live in a democratic society today. We have this privilege. It's called voting. You've got your ballots. You, you can, my wife and I completed ours. We're going to mail them off this week. You have a voice in vote. So I encourage you to pray and encourage you to vote. But many times, though, we don't have a say. You can't go to your business and tell your boss, you know, I don't think we should do that. You know, there is a time that we have to say, well, where do we go? Well, is it unethical? You go through the moral challenges and with it, or is it just preference that goes with that? And we go through this, but ultimately what we have to do is trust. Trust that God is good and who he has over us. It's a lesson that we're learning. We're growing and many of you go, man, I had a terrible boss, but one thing I learned from them is this. Don't do it that way. <laughs> you know, don't go that way. There's a lot of things that we can learn and grow from it. But ultimately what we're doing is trusting God and trusting that he is good. But yet, we look ahead and we're going, what, what do we do next? Because here's the third lie, is that this, is that the future is unknown. Solomon points this out. We're going to look at it in a moment. But th- this whole idea that we don't, we can't know in, in the future. And so it c- creates a little bit of fatalism that happens. We just, we can't predict it. You know, Disneyland was really funny when they opened up Tomorrowland was the future. What the future city, you know, city is going to look like. And well, when you're leading ahead and what tomorrow is going to look like, it gets outdated very quickly. And so you think about Disneyland, they continually remodel. And I mean, by then we thought we'd be all Jetsons and, and you know, space coasters all over the, all of the universe. I mean, no, I don't think Disney even predicted the internet. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened. In fact, that the house, the house of the future got retrofitted so many different times in 1995, they labeled it the future that never was. <laughs> At the end of the day, you can't predict the future. And Solomon really says this. He says, no one knows the future. Who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one, no one has the power over the wind to contain it. No one has the power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. It's a fatalistic mentality that he's saying, no one knows. And so what's the response when people don't know they live fatalistic? If they're living for today, they're like, great, I just want to escape from the day. But yet Solomon makes it very clear that we become entrapped to that freedom. He says, wickedness will not release those who practice it. We know this to be the fact that if you're going down the road of escaping, the, you know, trying to escape the inevitable of, of consequences of your life, it's going to catch up with you. We, many of you know and experienced myself. I was hooked on soap operas for a couple of years. But, and all joking aside, seriously, some of you have experienced, you know, substance issues and relationship struggles and all the things that was going to give you freedom actually brought bondage to you. 
So that's what he's saying. Wickedness will, will not release it. It will, it will overcome you, those who practice it. So here's the truth with it. That we don't know the future? No, we can't. Our destiny can be secure. And this is the truth. Our destiny can be secure. And it comes through following Christ. The biological inevitability is the fact that all of us will die. But that's not the worst thing that can happen to us. It's actually death is a transition to this next life. Jesus told us this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing me will never die. And then he asked this question to him. Mary and Martha were there. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's for you and I today. Do you believe that? Do you believe this life is not just this life? Do you believe there's a life to come? Because that's the, the greater life is, is, is beyond us. It's beyond this grave. And when we settle into that place, when we settle the truth that God is good, when we settle in that, his, that He's true and that He's good and there's a, there's a secure future, that's what can bring us rest to the hardest days and the most difficult days in our life. But it comes down to our choice of that destination. All of us have a choice. I remember my choice back in the day, that same year that we bought that VCR. The reason my mom had the money for the VCR, I don't think it was 5000 but it was several hundred dollars, this VCR. But we had some insurance money. My father had passed away. And I remember that summer going, invited to a summer camp. And it was at this chapel service. It was a morning chapel, I remember. And the speaker said, if any of you have, do not know for sure you're going to heaven... When you die, pretty serious question, stay in your seat and the rest of you can go have playtime. <laughs> so that was, my, within me, I, my body wanted to get up and go play as my cousin said, come on, we got a basketball game. And I couldn't, the Holy Spirit had my, my rear glued to that seat. And a counselor came over and said, hey, how can I pray for you? And I said, well, the guy said, you know, if you don't know for sure, I don't know for sure. And he quoted John 1.12, all who believe in all who, who call upon his name, believe in his name, he, he, becomes a, he has a right to become a child of God. I remember that scripture and it was that moment that my eternity was secure. Now there was several years later in growth and discipleship, as you know, in your life, there's ups and downs and go this way and that way that God got me on this, continued on that path. But I had that and you and I can have that. That brings rest for our souls. But yet we can get into another lie. It's this. When we think about this is it. Solomon, this, this fatalistic mentality is this. That injustice is the end result. We can believe this lie that when injustice happens, that's it. Nothing you can do about it. Well, stick with me on this passage. It's rather long. He says, all that I saw, I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too, I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from a holy place and receive praise to the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a, a a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time. I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. And yet before the wicked do not fear God, it will, it will not go well with them. Their days will not lengthen that like a shadow. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous will get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked will get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Now again, he's coming from this 
really speaking to an unbelieving group of people. He's speaking, even in his own wrestling with it, this fatalistic mentality. And he points out that the, the wicked sometimes get more of a pre- appreciation than the, those that they brought victimhood to. You think of history, ruthless dictators that were given homage and thousands of their victims are forgotten. We see this over and over again. And yet we find this sense of injustice that they need to be punished. There's something within us. And believe me, there's times that we need to rise up in the cause. And I'm so glad we're, we partner for different ministries like Engedi that, that really helps and tries to rescue women out of, of uh, sex trade and slavery and, and that comes with that. And we're, we're helping. We want to fight against that as well. There's certain causes, but at the end of the day, Solomon is saying our, our work can be futile without God and what God does and brings redemption. We want to see change happen. But, and so we need to know this. This is the key truth. It's basic. All wrongs will be made right because God is perfect. At the end of the day, God will make all things right. The wrongs will be made right. And as we're wanting God to judge, as we're wanting justice to prevail for those people out there, we also need to look for what we deserve. Someone said mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, right? What we deserve without Christ is hell. Grace is what we receive, what we don't deserve. It comes through the forgiveness of Christ and what He did on the cross for us that we can be made right. We can be righteous before God. If you've got a wrestling your soul about injustice, I encourage you to do first is look within you. Because there's a lot of injustice in your own heart. There's a lot of judgment in your own heart, I'm sure. And you have to sort that out. Yes, there's things to fight for and do, but we can get on our hobby horse. We can get on our high horse, actually, and we can try to be something. And we realize, whoa, whoa, we'd be humbled in fact of what God's done for us. He saved our sorry soul. He's brought through Christ redemption to our very heart that we can find rest in and knowing that one day God will prevail and God will make everything right if we trust in Him even for our very heart as well. But here's the fifth lie, the final lie that we'll wrap up with. is just joy life because that's it. So it's extreme. Just enjoy life. That's it. And you see this mentality. We see it in our world at the time. And, and Solomon is kind of saying that there's this mentality. Just kind of, you know, kick back, relax, have a good time. It's all going to end anyway. And he says this in verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then, then joy will accompany them in their toils all the days of their life of the life God has given them under the sun. And it sounds really good. But what he's really saying is, at the end, it's all there is, and even what God provides, that this is it. But this isn't just it. This, this isn't just all there is in life. There's more to come. And I would just encourage you with this simple truth. The true life is beyond this life. The true life is beyond this life. I love how Rick Warren describes our earthly lives. He says, this life is not all there is. Life on earth is just, about, it's just like a dress rehearsal before the real production. You will spend far more time on the other side of eternity than you do now. Earth is the staging area. It's the preschool. It's the tryout for your life in eternity. It's the practice workout before the actual game. The warm-up lap. 
before the race begins. This life is preparation for the next. That help us keep, keeps perspective. Then we're in a state of restlessness. Know that one day there will be ultimately rest for our souls. I mean, we think about we lay people to rest when they die. But really what's laid rest is, is coming to this place of rest in a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, that truly happened. But knowing this, that this life that we have is not it. There's so much more. God has created us to, to think in eternity and to think beyond. And if, if I mean, I talk to people that don't think beyond this life and this life it is, I don't know how they can live with themselves. I think there's a great state of restlessness if someone's really honest with their heart. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Woods down here and had a couple meetings. And then I had another meeting coming up. And so I just kind of settled in and tried to do some work. It was actually a message it was a few weeks ago I was working on. And, and, and there was a guy out in the patio. And I look over and he's got his phone and he's just kind of distraught, you know, and just struggling. And it felt like the Lord said, I want you to go talk to him. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm I, I, like, what am I supposed to say? I had no problem going up to him, but that's going to be super awkward. Like, hi there, you know. And, and, and so I said, Lord, I had a little, I said, God, you're going to have to make it a little easier for me. Like, I'm going to have, you know. And all of a sudden, I have my headphones, I'm working, and I look over, and he's, he's sitting right next to me. I'm like, what the? Okay. All right, Lord. And I said to the guy, I said, hey, you seem... You seem like you're having a tough time, man. What's going on? He goes, oh, and he goes into his life story and what's going on and everything is happening. And at the end of the day, we end up debating theology for an hour. Like, he was getting my blood boiling and stuff. I don't even really believe Jesus existed on this earth. Like, dude, I was in Israel. I've seen this stuff, okay? I know too much, you know? And at the end of the day, what was really crazy about it was this, is that he had restlessness, he had not settled. He, he actually even believed the teachings of Jesus. Not believed they really existed, but believed the teachings of Jesus, which is amazing. But he didn't, he didn't really bring them in his life to come to that place. He wasn't even open to the conversation to find that place. You know, silently praying for him and say, have a great day. But I thought, man, there's so many people out there. But even the people that come to church, are you here today? And in fact, I want our team to come as we get ready. Our ushers are preparing now. We're going to have a time of communion. I have this question. What, what lie are you living that's making you restless today? I mentioned, are you restless? But all these lies, are any of those speaking to you? Are you in a place that it's hard to believe anything anybody says any longer? Are you having a struggle with the future? Like, how, who knows? Is there really injustice in your life or the world around you? Like, I just even, I can't even trust anybody. I can't believe there could be any... Any, any resolve to what I'm going through. If you're in kind of that fatalistic place, let me encourage you as, as Solomon lays that out, it's pre-Jesus. Solomon, though, gave sh- foreshadowing to, to what is to come, but know this, what is already, what's, what he says would come has already come. Whatever hope in God, the hope has arrived. It's in the person and the historical true Jesus who came to this earth. And when he came to this earth, he settled things. He settled things. He, he said to those who are toiling under the S-U-N sun, he goes, I am the, the son of God. I've come to redeem mankind. I, I've come to provide something for you. And it's an invitation for every single one of us. An invitation to come to himself. And I love how it's expressed 
that's so fitting and as we talk about restlessness. I don't care if you're young or old. We all deal with restlessness. It's this. So beautiful, these words, this invitation for us this very day. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In a moment here, we're going to reflect. We're going to reflect in the body and the blood of Jesus and what he sacrificed. But what we're going to be holding in our hands is the finished work. It's the finished work of the cross of Jesus. And when you hold this work, and we'll talk about here in a moment what Christ really did for us. I want you to reflect upon that. And I want you to confess any lies you're believing that's causing some restlessness in you. Maybe some things have been identified in your heart and said, Lord, I want to give those to you. I'm struggling about the future. I'm struggling with this relationship. I'm having restlessness. Lord, I want to give that to you. And then we'll come back together here and we'll eat and we'll drink together as our ushers come forward. When I was reflecting, just sitting here, I was just, I was thinking about that video of James and the, the woodwork behind him and, and the finished work. This is beautiful. It takes just some raw materials and raw lumber and just all the coats of sanding and all the coats of varnish and the, the careful care of that and what he did. And, and we have that as such a, a beautiful reminder of all of us because a lot of us are raw, aren't we? A lot of us are un, un, uh, you know, uh, unfinished work. And we still are. We live in this world. There's still a work that God's doing in our hearts and minds. But one thing is finished, and that's our salvation has been, has been purchased. When Jesus was on the cross, he said some last words. And some of the very last words that Jesus said is, it is finished. What was finished? Well, the finished work of, of Christ was that he, he redeemed us through his blood, through the sacrifice of his body and his blood. It was to give us forgiveness of sins. And so it's, it's a done deal. And the finished work is that we can be right standing before God. It's a beautiful, amazing thing that, that we can be settled in that. Now, Jesus rose from the dead and, and provided the pathway to eternal life. But what's, one thing is so amazing, sometimes we can just skip this little detail, it's so significant, is that when Jesus ascended to heaven, the scripture says that he sat down at the, the right hand of the throne of God. Sat down, not standing, not pacing, not... When you sit down, that means the work has been done. It's settled. And what that says to us that we can have a, our restlessness is settled. At the end of the day and all the chaos and we're going to go in a week and there's going to be a lot of busyness and all that's going on. But what can be settled is our very soul. We can be settled on that. And that's what Jesus was communicating to his disciples when he said, there's a work that I'm going to be doing. And he had no idea the next 24 hours that would lead to, and even the next three days after that, what would take place, all that was going to be accomplished. But he foreshadowed with that work by doing something very significant that we're holding here today, we're called to remember, and that is his sacrifice. Jesus held up the bread and says, this is my body that was broken and beaten for you eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Just a little bit later in the supper, it's it's part of the Passover meal. They hold up different cups of significance and the cup that Jesus raised was the cup of suffering. 
It was this cup that he dreaded that he would say and ask the Lord when he was in the garden, ask the Father, take this, this cup from me, but no, not my will, yours be done. And Jesus held up that symbol of that sacrifice and says, this is a new covenant, a new agreement with all mankind for the forgiveness of sins. My blood will be shed. Drink in remembrance of me. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord, as we, we close here today and we put up a period on the finish of this service, knowing that there's still work to be done in our souls. There's still work of growing and maturing and becoming Christ-like. But God, we're grateful for this moment to be remembering the finished work you did for us. That we can know the future. We can stand on the truth. And when when there's wrong in our life, there's gonna, it's going to be made right and everything will be put together one day that we trust in because of the finished work of what you've done, Jesus, on the cross for us. Lord, if there's still some here that are wrestling with restlessness, there's a problem, there's an issue, there's a difficulty. Lord, may we have this moment to reflect upon a perspective of what you've done and what you accomplished for all of eternity for us, that we can have that perspective as you go in this week. And if there's some here, they're restless as the fact that they have not given their life over to you. May this day be that day, the day that determines their destiny in you, Lord, through your work, Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful for that, God. Go with us now as we're sent out to, to preach and to communicate that finished work that we can let others know, we pray. In Jesus' name.